Welcome back to the JB Sports Podcast. Today is Thursday, February 24th, 2022, and I'm going to get right into things here. So, usually this podcast is a duo, me and my brother. Today it is not, for a reason I will kind of get into here in a second. But you are stuck with me here today, so I hope you all enjoy. So, like I already said, usually a duo, just me. And for that reason, it is kind of, I have to kind of take you back a little bit. So, it has been two weeks since we I'll, anything has been recorded for the podcast. And the reason why is because of the one big thing that has happened since between now and then and uh, then and now. And that big event is the Super Bowl that happened. And the reason why that had such a big impact on why we did or did not record and why I'm doing it by myself right now is because the team on the losing side of that Super Bowl, being the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, is the team that my brother's very heavily roots for. That is his team in the NFL, and he has been rooting for them for a good good period of time now. As to why he chose that team, I have no idea, but I suspect that was be because he hates me and my team so much, being the Pittsburgh Steelers. But I'm, that it's neither here nor there. His team got to the Super Bowl led by Joe Burrow, and honestly, he got so close to the end and so close to winning, and the Bengals couldn't necessarily pull it off. As to my analysis as to why that didn't happen, well, the offensive line for the Bengals was the... Uh, was the glaring the glaring problem for them, as well as I just think that their defense I just did couldn't really make the plays when it finally mattered, you know. And the who was responsible for that I'm I can kind of get into, but overall I could just give the blame to the whole defense in general, right? Whether I'm gonna like obviously can there be. Like, if you're going to have a blame pie, can there be some people have bigger pieces of it than others? Yes, for sure. Which I'll get into in a second. But his team didn't pull it off. It was very heartbreaking for him. And I totally, totally get that. As a young, as he is a very young fan at this point where he's really been in the sports like the last six, seven, eight years now. And this is his first big heartbreak. And anybody listening out there who follows sports or follow honestly follows anything at all, the... The idea of having a heartbreaking moment as a person that is just sitting on the sidelines, you don't really have too much of a hand in things, and you're just kind of watching things play out. I can get the idea that you feel kind of feel helpless, and when you you are such a big fan, fan being like shorthand for fanatic, you want your team to win so bad, and you feel so invested, and when you are so close to winning like the Bengals were, and they did couldn't pull it off. It hurt, and I could see it. I, I watched him watch the game, and he, it came down to it. And when the Rams scored that last, like last minute touchdown, they had like a minute forty two left by the time they were done. It was a, it was a, a gut wrenching blow, and heck, they didn't even end because honestly, after that touchdown that the Rams scored, there was still a chance, and the ball did go back to Joe Burrow, and he had his sh- his shot to you know end the game and go score that last second either three points or for the touchdown for the win three points for the tie it did happen I'm not really gonna go through like do the whole analysis it's been a couple weeks I'm pretty sure anybody listening to the podcast at this point knows what happened Aaron Donald happened he made a play that pretty much blew up the Bengals drive when they were going for it on fourth and one and that's how the game ended 
and it, and I could see it. And it I it hurt, and uh, I can. I can relate. It didn't really hurt me to watch his team lose, obviously, because I'm not a fan of his, of like his team. I'm a fan of him, but not his team. So it hurt me to see that hurt him that much. But I, I can, I, I, I felt that hurt myself as a fan of the Steelers and of the Buckeyes, and as as a fan of any other sport. Is I would hope, I would hope that anybody of any sport has had this moment at some point in their fandom. Whether it happened or not, I, I'm not sure. I can't really say for everybody, but if it hasn't, good for you. Because it will come. It, no, what, no team can win forever. And for those who have felt it, you know how heart-wrenching it can be. And to be quite frank, anybody that has watched the NFL playoffs in general, especially on the AFC side where the Bengals kind of ran through the AFC, it was kind of not ran through because it's... I'm going to say this right now. It kind of seemed like a magical ride, you know? It wasn't like the Bengals were dominating everybody in the AFC going into the Super Bowl. They were, I think they won each game by three points. And it was really in comeback style in every single one. And Joe Burrow just had the magic. And he managed to make that play at the very end to get his team into places to either win or score or whatever it is. That defense was making plays and stopping uh, opposing offenses from really getting all the points they could get. Like... But even still, the Bengals were just seemed like they're on this magical ride that even I could see being a kind of bystander on the whole thing because my team is out of the playoffs. You could definitely call it magical. And for not only my brother, but a lot of Bengals fans out there, you have to respect the idea that it was, it seemed like it was almost fate that this could be the year. And when you're a fan of such team and they have been doing it for so long, not for so long, but for the whole season, and everybody knows, hey, the offensive line is the problem. Oh, hey, our DBs aren't necessarily the best, but they're making it work. They've been making it work this whole postseason with these magical runs, and it you can't help but get behind the idea that this is fate. It is meant to happen. This is our year. Anybody that has felt this, it's hard. It's it sucks if it doesn't. If it finally doesn't go your way, and it really, it I could see it for my brother. It did suck for him, and that is why I do not really blame him all that much for not getting on this podcast. I would I would have hoped, which is why we didn't record last week. I would hope that just give me a little time when he he'll be he'd be able to do it. But it's a little too much for him, and I get it. And I hope in time this will get a little easier for him because every fan, as they experience these little things, it, it you get a scar from it. You never forget it, but you just hope to live on with it as well as much as anything else in life. But as a fan, this is a pretty big one. So with that, I'm going to kind of get into like some of like, I'm not going to go too far into, into, into the weeds with uh, trying to analyze the game. But like I said, the Bagels offensive line was the, uh, was the obvious weak link of the Bengals, as well as their secondary kind of getting torched by Cooper Cup. Like, those are the two big things. So, like, think about it. It was So, with L.A., they scored the first touchdown of the game. And it seemed like they had, like, all the control going into, like, starting in the first quarter. And in the second quarter, Odell Beckham Jr. got hurt. 
And with that being the case, it kind of seemed like the L.A. Rams kind of slowed down offensively, which kind of gave the Bengals a chance, especially from in the end of the first half going into the second half. And that's exactly what the Bengals grow, grabbed onto, you know? In the end of the first half, start of the set third quarter, it was the Bengals actually ended up scoring 10, like four, 17 points. Not only the touchdown at the end of the, not the end, but going into the end of the first first half with that T. Higgins six-yard pass from Joe, uh, from Joe makes that trick play, which is a really, really great play call, honestly, because they were so, they were running the football so well, they kind of got into the field, were able to do that trick play with Mixon, throw the football to T. Higgins. But they also had a first play touchdown in the second half. And with that being the case, it kind of seemed like the uh, everything was starting to go the Bengals' way with the L.A. Rams having injuries on their side. Everything started to go their way. So as a Bengals fan, you had to you had to see like, hey, this little like it's start, going to start to get ugly here. But as the game went along in that third quarter going into the fourth quarter, L.A. Rams' defense really started to tighten up, and the Bengals weren't necessarily getting yards as easily as they were. And it the defense of the Rams kind of held on long enough for Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup can kind of get back into the rhythm, uh, get over the loss of Odell Beckham Jr. Because honestly, if this is coming from my perspective, if Odell Beckham wouldn't have gotten hurt, he was torching everybody he was going up against in the secondary. And this game, honestly, this game probably wouldn't have been close because that Rams offense was not being stopped with Odell Beckham on the field. So with that being the case it kind of gave the Bengals a chance and they took took hold of that chance and they kind of got back into the game. So as the game kind of went along and the Bengals weren't necessarily making plays all that much, all it took was for Stafford and Cooper Cup kind of to lock back in and uh, they finally got one last drive in the, in the fourth quarter. Held on for four minutes and 48 seconds. Went all the way down the field. This included one very, very nice play from Matt Stafford to Cooper Cup. It was a no-look pass in the middle of a game, which is very disrespectful. Honestly, anybody that's probably on social media probably saw that play kind of circulate for everybody. It was a no-look pass in the middle of a fourth-quarter game in, in the Super Bowl. Very disrespectful to see. But otherwise, Rams got the touchdown, and... The Rams defense is finally able to make the play at the end of the fourth quarter to, you know, end the game. And honestly, if one of the big stories coming out of this game was the officiating. I'm not going to get into it because, honestly, on the first play touchdown at the start of the third quarter for the Bengals, it was an obvious offensive pass interference. On a, it like, And if you're going to talk about the holding call on the Bengals' middle linebacker on Cooper Cup going to the end of that uh, – going into that touchdown that the Rams scored in the fourth quarter. It was holding. Like some people say, hey, he really didn't grab on anything, but like he was holding his he was holding his his torso, dude. So like the way I saw it is it was holding, I think, and if you're really gonna get into the minutia of it, like it was tick for tack. If they weren't call if they didn't call offensive pass interference on that play for T. Higgins on that first play touchdown in the third quarter, None of the calls that the referees made at the end of the game were even close to as egregious as that. So that notwithstanding, I want to kind of just chalk it up to this. 
it was a great season for the Bengals, even coming from Pittsburgh fans such as myself. Uh, they have a lot to be, oh, the fans of the Bengals have a lot to be proud of. And I, I've already said this on the podcast before. I do believe that Joe Burrow will get his team via the Bengals or anybody else sometime in his career. I do hope it's the Bengals for my brother's sake, but you know, while I'd be asking for my own team's demise at this point, they're going to get a Super Bowl at some point in his career. As to how I feel about that, I'm not sure, but I just I could just say very confidently, like Joe Burrow is that guy, Jamar Chase is that guy. If they get that offensive line together, and they manage to make some maybe some key upgrades in the defensive back department, it's cornerback a little bit. Maybe they can uh they can make another magical run. And honestly, they were a young team. And uh, it, there's some. I think there's something too. A team being very young and experiencing that first loss. Patrick Mahomes had it when he lost in the AFC Championship game to uh, to Tom Brady. So like when Tom Brady was still with the Patriots. So a young team kind of gets that loss and they come back and make a tear through the league and they get a t- get the Super Bowl. I've seen it before. And honestly, with a guy as talented as Joe Burrow, I just think it's going to happen at some point. So, yeah, I know it hurts. Uh, and honestly, I'm talking for any fan that has experienced this cra- kind of crazy heartbreak. It hurts for a while. It sticks with you forever. But honestly, hopefully, if, as the days go by and as the seasons go by, hopefully, and maybe a Super Bowl comes around, it makes it feel that much sweeter when it does happen because you did feel this heartbreak. And honestly, that's all I got to say about that. I'm not, I'm not going to get too uh, into my soapbox here because honestly, I can kind of go on and on about the pain that I felt in my in my fandom being an Ohio State fan. Like, because that was pro- like I get a lot more emotional about my Ohio State team than you know Pittsburgh or or any other sports team that I that I fa- I root for. Ohio State 2004 2005. Losing in back-to-back national championships to the SEC getting beat badly. That was heartbreaking. And honestly, for Pittsburgh, as a Pittsburgh fan, I've experienced heartbreak when it comes to, like, I, I honestly became a Pittsburgh Steelers fan when I watched them win the Super Bowl back in 2000, and this would have been 2004. Yeah. When they won this, this championship in 2004, that's when I honestly became a fan. And then I watched them win again, I want to say in 2007. And then I believe in 2010, they got there again and lost to the uh, lost to the Packers. And that one was pretty heartbreaking. But like I wasn't like, again, I'm never that crazy emotional about pro- professional sports. I don't know why. Maybe it's because there's not that much. Uh, I, I have no reason as to why that exactly that is. But I just, I just feel a little bit more of an emotional connection to Ohio, to uh, Ohio State. So I felt that many times over and I've uh I would say I'm a little bit hardened to it at this point so for any Bengals fans that is like really experiencing this Super Bowl loss for the first time in their lives welcome to the club and I'm not saying that as a thing like to make fun of you because you haven't been, few, been here before but I'm saying welcome to the club where you felt that pain you can kind of and when you look at any other fan base that has maybe felt this pain before you can you can look at them in the eye and say hey I felt that pain before and I'm on that same level as you. And I think with the Bengals being as great as they are, 
they'll be on the same playing field and they'll be have plenty of chances to win Super Bowls, especially with Joe Burrow at the helm. And I'm gonna kind of get off of that because uh, I'm not not gonna uh, I'm not gonna go too far into feeling all sad and stuff. So with that, with these last two weeks, there's been a couple things going on, and I'm kind of just talk about the other things that. Uh, I kind of have written out here. I do have like a list of things I wanted to talk about. Hopefully to keep myself from going on too many tangents. So hopefully better for you as the listener. So I'm going to start with the Aaron Rodgers news over the last day or so. It has been reported that Aaron Rodgers is going to make his, his decision very soon. And that decision being whether he wants to stay with the Packers or leave. And honestly, all this matters a lot because of how, he has a hand like an agreement with the Packers front office that if he decided, Hey, I want to get out of here though, they'll be pretty much obliged to trade him and they will have to talk to him and kind of get his input on who he would like to be traded to. So they wouldn't have to, but honestly, when you're treating a guy of that magnitude, like they have the power to pretty much say, Hey, even if I get traded there, I'm not going to play for you. So it kind of gives them a little bit of extra uh, power in the situation. They probably wouldn't have otherwise. So with that being the the case, it's kind of opening up all these teams going into the offseason, free agency, the draft, and kind of giving other teams hope. Like, hey, if Aaron Rodgers decides to leave the Packers, there are some teams that are a quarterback away. Denver, San Fran, uh, Pittsburgh, potentially. like, and And obviously other teams that I probably don't even think I can remember at this point, but... There are teams out there that are maybe a quarterback away and not only Aaron Rodgers, but other quarterbacks might be in the league for that, like in the running for that. So it's kind of, it's big news. Like he's made a couple social media posts and I'm not honestly not going to get too far into that because I think a guy being as being famous as long as he has, he knows that when he says things and when he does certain things, he's going to be pressing certain buttons that'll get people to react. And when, when I see that, it's just, you know, Either whether he's doing it on purpose, knowing he's going to start stirring the pot of people that are worried about his decision, or whether he like is trying to be innocent and he's all surprised about how people react to something as simple as a uh, social media post. Either way, I'm not going to like it. Doesn't matter to me. So once he makes that decision and he makes it public for everybody, we'll see what the Packers decide to do. If they get the get the word that he wants to be traded, they'll be asking for many picks, and I'll be honestly very intrigued to figure out what they'd be willing to what they'd be willing to take for a guy of his magnitude being a two-time well three-time MVP well I'm not sure I forget how many MVPs he has but he's won two back-to-back MVPs uh nonetheless so a back-to-back MVP winner guy that has been very talented over the last couple of years and he looks like he has no signs of slowing down so one first round pick two three four who knows so with that being the case, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a wild wild west in the uh, NFL this offseason, especially with all these quarterbacks that potentially want to leave for other teams, or heck, the draft always being an option for quarterbacks. So like, there's gonna be a lot of a uh, lot of movement going on, and I'm very excited to see how this uh, offseason turns out. And in other news, Jarvis Landry also had a tweet, couple tweets that came out on Twitter talking about how he was pretty much taken up for himself. Uh, he pretty much was injured most of this season. And there's a lot of people that are like saying that, hey, maybe we don't, we don't need Jarvis Landry. Maybe he's not healthy enough. 
And in his own defense, he kind of came out and said, hey, yeah, I was, wasn't healthy this season, but I will be. And he pretty much made it known that he wants he does want to return to Cleveland because everybody like the only reason everybody's talking about Jarvis Landry at this point is because he does have a big cap hit going into this season. And some people are wondering, hey, if we trade him, maybe our cap number be better. And, you know, maybe we get a nice draft piece back that they can go and draft another player that they may need for their team. Jarvis Landry comes out and says, "Hey, I'm healthy. I'm going to be healthy for next season. I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be better for better for the Browns if they want me. But if not, hey, I want to go to another team and try to go win the Super Bowl, like a lot like his guy, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. that managed to get his way out of Cleveland and go to the Rams and win a Super Bowl this year. I think this is like one of those things where the standing of the organization has kind of shown itself, as much as the Browns have made." many strides to make their their organization a lot better when it comes from top to bottom. I think this is the the culture of the Browns has kind of started to deteriorate. And I believe this does all start with Baker Mayfield and them not believing in him. And then when he decides to not react well to the uh, apprehension that the organization may have, I think it just kind of makes its way through the whole locker room. And it kind of leads to something like this happening for Jarvis Landry, a guy that doesn't really all that talk all that much. He does not come out and really say anything against the organization. He kind of goes in, does his job, and then leaves. And honestly, to the point where a lot of people forget he's even there because he is not too loud. He goes in, does his job, catches a lot of uh, footballs, and he ends up leaving and like he just goes home. And with that being the case, I think you have to give him a lot of credit that He's finally starting to hear that maybe they don't want him, and he's kind of saying, hey, he's fighting for himself, and he knows that if the Browns decide to make a very dumb mistake and get rid of him, that he will go make another team better, and he'll go win a Super Bowl long before the Cleveland Browns will. And that is because they have not managed as many changes as they've made. They have not made the the change to the culture of the locker room, of the organization, to one of a winner in a way that, Heck, the Pittsburgh Steelers have long-standing organizations like that. Or even you go to the Bengals, to a guy like Joe Burrow, who has set the tone for his whole organization being the Bengals, that they are winners and that they belong. And I think with a strong presence like a guy like Joe Burrow can make a change even in a couple years that he's been there. And I think without having that sort of leader, obviously on the field, as a guy like Joe Burrow, Baker Mayfield is not. I think it leads to things like this happening in the organization. So I just kind of had to mention that because I really do hope that for the pain of all the uh, the Cleveland Brown fans out there, that they do trade him. And he does, he does go and win a Super Bowl without them. And that they will have to look at him just like they look at Odell with his ring and uh, his, his ring he'll have here soon. He'll have a ring and they won't. And they'll be looking like, hey, we just shipped him off to go win a Super Bowl. And I hope that happens for Jarvis Landry as well. And now that I'm done with that, I will go into the Tom Brady thing. So to anybody that was following the whole Tom Brady thing, he did retire before the Super Bowl happened as he came out with his whole his whole speech on Instagram with a whole bunch of slides thanking so many people. And But here's the thing, though. He didn't actually retire. There were no papers filed because usually when you retire, you have to file some paperwork with the NFL officially saying you're retired, and that hasn't happened yet. And honestly, in most circles, it is finally starting to circ- like people are finally starting to ask questions as to, hey, 
if he hasn't really filed anything yet, is he leaving the door open? And I do believe that might be the case. Because a guy, he is 44 years old. He's honestly looked very good, to my surprise and a lot of people's surprise, that watch football. He's been he's been defying the odds this whole time. So in with him leaving, saying he was retiring, it was coming to a shock to a lot of people. So with him kind of leaving the door open, a lot of people are saying, hey, maybe it's just because he doesn't want to pay, play for the Buccaneers anymore. Maybe he wants to play for somebody else. Hey, what would bring him back? And honestly, I don't really see him like I don't see there is a te- I don't see there's a team like that's ready made for him just to join and go win a Super Bowl again, especially with the way that he plays. Like I just don't see it. So I do think it's either the Buccaneer he's playing for the Buccaneers or he's playing for nobody because they still have his rights too. So even if that's the case, they would he would have to be traded for. And I who knows what the Buccaneers would ask for him. So with that being the case, I just uh I was going to err on the side of caution that he does. He decides, hey, I need to be around my family. I need to start my retirement earlier than what he thought he would. But it, he was talking about playing until 50. Like, let's be honest here. That sounds insane, but he has defied the odds before, and he probably would have kept doing it if he would have kept playing. And with that being the case, it is something to keep your eyes on. Uh, I don't think he's going to probably play this year. But in the years to come, if he does decide to come back and try to defy the uh, defy time one more time, I can definitely see him taking that leap. And without the case, with that, I am gonna probably that's probably it on the football talk. To be totally honest with you, it's not really in a football together because you are going into free agency. We're going into the draft, and I'm very excited about both of those things. So, I just kind of want to give my kind of outlook as to what we're going to do in the off season going into all these things. I do want to have like weekly segments, hopefully having multiple episodes a week, if not only one, like coming out saying, Hey, what are my quarterback rankings for either free agency or the draft or like different positions or different story, obviously reacting to different storylines that come out trades that happen for the draft. Like, I just want to talk about all of that. I get really excited around this time of year, even though there isn't any football being played on the field. There's still plenty of things happening off the field that is like gets pretty darn close to what NBA like free agency and uh, the draft gets you, but not quite as drama filled. So with that being the case, I'm like very excited to talk about all of it. So I will like be stay tuned. I will be bringing out like we'll have so many different discussions. Hopefully with Jason as well, we will talk about so many different things, ranking players, different storylines, and everything. I'm very excited about this offseason. And now that I kind of give him my little taste of what's going to be happening over the next couple weeks going into all this, I'm going to start talking about there is one big storyline going on right now that uh, what depending on what you do and like what sports you watch, you might not even know about. With the MLB, uh, they are kind of having a problem, labor dispute right now between the owners and the players to the point now where it's been reported that this coming Monday, that would be, I, I want to say... I don't know what date that would be, but this coming Monday, if they do not come up with an agreement, that there would be a shortened season for the MLB. And from what I've read, it seems like there's a lot of things that are keeping the uh, the agreement from being to for them coming up on an agreement. I, honestly, English is really hard sometimes. So 
there there are some barriers that they have to jump over to kind of get this done. Honestly, do I think that do I have any belief that they're going to get it done? Probably not. I think the MLB when it comes to the owners and the players, I think they've proven to be very spiteful towards each other and they are probably the most uh stubborn because MLB players are played are paid a lot and I think that if a lockout were to occur where the the season wouldn't happen, the players have a lot more funds to potentially last that lockout, unlike, you know, the ML, uh, the NFL, NBA, stuff like that. So with that being the case, you have two sides that are very well compensated that aren't necessarily uh, going to starve without the paychecks for a season. So with that being the case, I don't really want to get into all that. So I just want to talk about what the potential consequences are for all these both sides not necessarily being able to agree on a labor on a I forget on a labor agreement that's what it's called being a baseball fan myself uh honestly I fell in love with Derek Jeter as a young as a young kid and he turned out to be my favorite player he kind of he was the person I saw and kind of turned me into playing baseball you know well honestly I started playing baseball before I started watching Derek Jeter so I started playing baseball and then I kind of got into the idea of watching certain players and then Derek Jeter was my guy. Like that was the guy that kind of locked me into my fandom, me being a Yankees fan, as well as me following baseball in general. And honestly, it turned into a lifelong passion that I love watching baseball, not as much MLB baseball, but when I was playing in Little League and now that I'm watching my younger siblings play. It has turned out to be something that, you know, a whole family thing, but Derek Jeter was a big reason for that as to why I still love the game today, even though he's not playing. And I think baseball needs that in order to get younger and younger viewers, being young kids, to either want to play the game, to keep talent coming to the MLB, or to even watch is to keep keep them as consumers, you know? And with that being the case, if you're not going to play a season, I think, well, if you're going to have a shortened season, it lessens the opportunities for big players like Shohei Otani, like Mike Trout, like Bryce Harper, and many, many players worldwide to come out and show their skills and to potentially show the young young kids that this is a sport that you can have fun and you can excel doing and you can be a superstar. And that is what gains fans of the uh, of baseball and that is what gains lifelong players potentially to come in and like replenish the talent in the MLB, but as well as consumers that'll keep telling their kids and telling their family members like, hey, baseball is a very cool sport to watch. So I do believe that with them not having being able to come up with an agreement, it really is bad for baseball because honestly at this point, baseball is, uh, let's be honest, to the average like person out there, Baseball is probably third on the list of sports in the uh, United States. Like, obviously, NFL is the top. Then you have M- then you have the NBA, and then you probably have baseball, hockey, soccer, kind of all coming out for the last three. So, with that being the case, like I, I would say baseball is third. But there's some people that like would love soccer even like much more. And I do think the MLB has a lot to do when when it comes to notoriety, getting players that. Uh, getting players out there that'll captivate an audience as well as they have a, they have a, uh, I want to say a duty 
to the sport of baseball to be out there playing so they can manage to bring more eyes to the sport in general. And that's all I have to say about it. And I hope, I really do hope that they manage to come up with some type of agreement because I would hate to see this game suffer any more than it already has to them just being greedy and having their disagreements. I'm I'm just going to say greedy on both sides because I'm guessing there probably is a middle ground that they both can reach and be happy, but they're not really pushing on that. They're trying to get as much as possible, and they're not really thinking about what the game, how this all affects the game of baseball and the future of baseball in general. So with that being the case, I really do implore anybody that is that is in the in the in the sight lines of this whole thing that they do think about the game in general and hope that they manage to get this thing turned around because MLB honestly can't really take too much more strain on the sport. So getting out of that, getting out of the, being a little too, being a little too sad. Juwan Howard, honestly, this is a sad if you're a Michigan fan, but if you're not the, especially me being an Ohio state fan, I, I was really, uh, I want to say I got a lot of enjoyment out of this whole situation. So Juwan Howard is the, coach for the men's basketball for the team up north or Michigan, however you want to say so. And they were playing Wisconsin a few days ago. And with that being the case, after the game, apparently there was a Michigan, uh, Wisconsin was wiping out team up north, right? And with that being the case, the, uh, the starters for Wisconsin were out of the game because the game's pretty much in hand. And then you had the Michigan players still playing hard and trying to play press. And the Wisconsin coach was taking a, was taking the fact that the team up north was take was playing press and he took a timeout. This would have been with like 15 seconds left. And according to coaching code from what other analysts and stuff like that have said, that usually you're not supposed to take a timeout in that scenario because you are extending a game where you easily have that game in hand and that you are winning, going to win anyway. So with that, Jawan Howard being Michigan's coach took, took offense to that. And when after every game for especially college teams, they have to do a handshake line where all the players and coaches kind of just do the whole handshake thing. A lot like little league and Jawan Howard and the coach of Wisconsin, I forget his name now. I'm not really going to go into it. We're having, we're kind of, passing each other and Juwan Howard was tra- was trying to like just roll right by not really give him a handshake but the coach of Wisconsin kind of stopped him and was trying to explain himself at least from what he was saying afterwards in the press conference he was trying to hey explain hey this is why I took the timeout your team was playing press I had a timeout to take I'm just going to make sure I'm keep coaching my team through the whistle Juwan Howard wasn't having it and with that coach stopping him he that coach did also touch Jawan Howard by like grabbing his shoulder, not really aggressively, but kind of keeping him in place. And Jawan Howard took offense because he did not want that coach to stop him, let alone touch him. And Jawan Howard kind of took uh, took offense and he told the guy not to touch him and things started to get a little heated. And then a Wisconsin coach kind of comes in, grabs one of the uh, team up North players by the shoulder. And uh, Jawan Howard took offense to that as well. And with that kind of mush that, assistant coach for Wisconsin in the face and which kind of led to an all out brawl for the most part that players were starting to punch each other and a whole bunch of craziness happened after that. And with that being the case, a couple days later, Michigan decided, Hey, we're going to suspend Juwan Howard 
I think, what is it, for the rest of the season, which would have been five games at that point. I'm not sure whether that included the playoffs or not. I actually, I don't think so. So they they gave him the boot for the rest of the season, being five games, and that he would come back for the Big Ten tournament and for potentially the uh, March Madness if they managed to get in. So with that being the case, I, I kind of wanted, wanted to kind of give my thoughts to whether that was enough or did he deserve more? Does he de- Is he more in blame? Does he deserve blame? Did he do what was right? I, I Honestly, he didn't do what was right, acting violently towards anybody. In that scenario, honestly, wasn't wasn't great. Honestly, he didn't even mush the guy, the head coach of Wisconsin, the guy he had the initial beef with in this scenario. In this scenario, he mushed the assistant coach for Wisconsin, who came in. He did grab a player and probably said, "Who knows what he said?" Because nobody really knows that in that in this scenario. It just he didn't really mush the guy that he has the, he was having the issue with in the first place. And with that, the fact that what he did caused so many other players to start swinging. I think in a the fact that these coaches are in leadership positions, I think it just leads just Jawan Howard has a higher has a higher has a higher uh, standard that he has to be held to, and with that being the case, yes, he deserved to get suspended, and I find it very very funny that you know Michigan being a the university that regards themselves as such a great university have hired in their ranks when it comes to coaches, a guy in Jim Harbaugh that doesn't want to be there, and a guy in Juwan Howard who likes to mush people when he's unhappy about a game and how it turned out. So with that being the case, no, he doesn't deserve to get fired. Yeah, he deserved to get the suspension. Could he have been suspended more and I would have been okay with it? Probably. But he got suspended. I can't really say too much. I think he got fined too, like 40 k I think the other coach got fined some money, but... Again, I don't think anybody got as harsh a penalty as him, and I think it was well-deserved because if Juwan Howard would have kept his hands to himself in this scenario and not mushed that assistant coach, a lot of other things potentially would not have happened. No hands would have been thrown, and I think it just kind of all... It can all be traced back to Juwan Howard making that one decision to go ahead and punch the dude. I, and some people may say, hey, but the Wisconsin coach stopped him. I'm like, yeah, that is wrong. You probably shouldn't have done that. But... At that case, I don't think Juwan Howard should have felt, you know, inclined to react violently to a guy that honestly does not have as big of a, of a stature as Juwan Howard. Juwan Howard, a former NBA player, so honestly, he's an athlete. The other guy looked like an accountant if on his on his day job before he started coaching Wisconsin basketball. So there was no reason for him to feel, uh, well, what would I say, threatened. Honestly, the coach that did grab his player, he wasn't really like hurting him at this point. At least I don't think so. So with that not being the case, Jawan Howard should have kept his hands to himself and all this wouldn't be happening. But the fact that he did that, it's only deserved that he gets the suspension. But I am glad he's not fired because honestly, that was partially, you know, started by the Wisconsin coach stopping him from just doing the drive by because in sometimes in uh, coaching a. In the NBA, you do have coaches or players that don't really want to talk to each other. And they just do a drive-by. They make it look very cordial, and they just pass by and then just go along their way. But that didn't happen in this scenario, and I think that's why Jawan Howard gets the ultimate price. Not the ultimate price, but he gets the highest price of getting suspended for those five games. And, you know, with that, with that being the case, I did want to talk about NBA All-Star Weekend, which happened this past weekend. 
I just kind of want to give a quick overview of it all, uh, the whole thing. So first, that first night would have been Friday night with the Celebrity All-Star Game. Honestly, I didn't watch too much of that, but usually it's pretty entertaining. I did see some highlights, which included uh, Miles Garrett having a few big dunks in that game, which is very, very, very fun to see because he is a crazy athlete, whether he plays for the Browns or not. It was a great, he, he's crazy. He, he is built like a linebacker, but yet he's able to do some things that NBA players are able to do, which is a very, very lethal combination to be able to do. So celebrity all-star game, good as usual, like not necessarily great, but it's okay. But then you have the second night, which would have been Saturday night. You have the skills challenge, which is kind of different this year. So they did in like three man groups. They had three, three man teams. So you had the, Giannis's him Giannis and his two brothers being the Antetokounmpo's they had their own squad and then you had three players from the Cavs who are playing very well this year I think they have like a third seed in the east this year they had their three-man squad and then you had three rookies from around the NBA and they had their three-man squad so you had those all three of those teams kind of going up head to head to head in different skills challenges in like kind of like the same format as you've seen past skill challenges. You have the passing, you have the dunks, you have the shooting, all of that. And you kind they kind of all faced up against each other. I found it very entertaining when I was watching it. Uh, I had a lot of fun with it. I think if they were to replace the Antetokounmpo's, I, I, cause I just don't think they're the most skilled individuals. Giannis being the most skilled of him and his two brothers that were doing it at that time. But still, Giannis ain't a guard, and his brothers aren't guards. And I just think it takes a lot of guard skills to be able to compete in a con- in a uh, in a competition like that. And with that being the case, other than that, I think it was the rookies that won the whole thing. Yeah, I think yeah, it was the rookies that won that whole thing. No, no, it was the Cavs. Sorry, I had that totally wrong. It was Team Cavs that won that whole thing, and they just had. It honestly came down to a three. Uh, it was a half court shot. I think the rookies hit the shot in like 10 seconds. I think the Cavs hit the shot in like six seconds. So like two crazy numbers. I think they're all just going back to back to back. Shooting as many half court shots as possible. And the first to hit it clock stops. Then you have the other team that has to do it in a shorter amount of time. And I think with it coming down to that, you had a lot of skilled players to go out there shooting, and, you know, the Cavs just managed to do it. So it was a very entertaining, very entertaining thing to watch, and I was uh, very happy to see it. And I'm going to, after that, it kind of went into the three-point contest, which is always, honestly, the best contest of all the whole All-Star weekend. You have a lot of great shooters going out there just showing their skills, and I think it was Carl Anthony Towns that ended up winning the whole thing. Honestly, a big man who plays center pretty much predominantly. He plays center. Carl Anthony Towns is like seven, almost seven feet tall, or if not taller than that. And he managed to win the three-point contest that included, I wanted, I want to say, uh, I, I know it, uh, Zach Levine. You had one player from the Jazz, I forget his name, but he was a guard. Like, there's a bunch of guards, and you have Carl uh, Anthony Towns. So with that being the case, like you wouldn't think that the big man would be the guy to score the, and I think Carl Anthony Towns actually beat the record for most points in the final stage of that of the whole three point contest. So with that being the point, with that being the case, I think it just kind of shows how how versatile and skilled 
big men can be nowadays, especially with the game the way it is. But it was just it's just good for him, I think, uh, because Carl Anthony Towns isn't necessarily on a winning team with the Timberwolves right now. So him having this little win of winning the three point contest was very good, and it was very very entertaining to watch. But this is the low light that I'm going into next. This is the low light of the whole All Star Weekend, being the dunk contest. And honestly, it was very very painful to watch because you had a lot of players kind of going in trying to do crazy dunks. They like. If they were to make it, it looks great. But the way they have it formatted right now to where you have a bunch of different chances to make it, it's not really timed. Like, you're just sitting here watching these guys miss and miss and miss and miss and miss. It is literally sickening to watch these guys just keep missing over and over again. It's cringe. And then you had, like, you you had these shots of older players. They either retired or just, like, on the sidelines of just watching the whole thing. They're all disgusted because you're just sitting here. It's like it's not even funny anymore to watch these guys miss these dunks. And honestly, I think if they were to go just for easier dunks in general and make some, they probably would have better scores, even if they didn't look as good as the crazy ones they were attempting in the first place. And honestly, I've been watching the the dunk contest for many, like I wouldn't say many many years, but I like I'm I'm 25, so I'm like watching all the. I've watched a good 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 dunk contest and honestly from what i can remember this is the worst one because it was just so cringe watching all these players miss that many dunks it's not timed like it's it was just so many things to like go again like go against the consumer in this in this scenario either in this in the arena which is in cleveland or as a viewer watching it on tv it's just it's just a lot to take in a lot of mediocrity to take in and with that being the case, I think they need to not only change up the order in which they do this. So with that being the case, if you're not going to make changes to the dunk uh, the dunk contest, you at least need to switch the dunk contest, the three-point contest, and make the three-point contest the that's the headliner. That's the last one of the of that night. So that'll be that'll be Saturday night. Because with that being the case, you're going to have a lot of people just turn off the whole thing after the three point contest. If you're going to keep this same layout going in like this, the order that they're going in right now. So flip them, make the three point contest, the main one, the last one you see of the night, but then you also need to make some drastic changes to how they do it. I'm not sure how, um, but they, they need to, they need to make some big changes because with this being the case, the way this is going, like the dunk contest is like becoming absolute garbage. I, I th- honestly think the last really great dunk ca- contest, contest that I saw was 2016 between Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon. That was a absolute monster of a dunk contest. Two guys going at it back and forth. Honestly, you were making choices as to which great dunk was greater because they both just could not miss and they were on fire and they came with an intensity that even in this dunk contest this year, they didn't even have that. It was a lot of missing, and they were very nonchalant. They didn't seem like they were taking it too serious. Like you, They're competing. You would hope when you're putting people in a competitive setting, they take it seriously, and they're competing and not failing. So, But now they're failing, but then they're not also taking it as seriously as past dunk contests, and it makes it look doubly as bad. So with that being the case, the NBA has a lot of thinking to do before next year's dunk contest and as to how they're going to make that any better because 
I would give the NBA credit here. Usually they're willing to make a lot of changes, especially to the, the all-star game. Like they're willing to make changes to make it more viewable for fans. So I have faith that the NBA can do it, but they're just, I just don't really know how they're going to do it. I'm going to have to give them some credit. It's going to take a lot. Last but not least on the NBA All-Star Weekend, I think, is the All-Star Game. I didn't really watch it all that much. I did watch the highlights. Steph Curry was the was the main attraction in this. I think he hit like 15, 16 threes. I think he scored 50 points or 49, something like that. He scored an absurd amount. So Steph Curry... Absolutely, he drained a bunch of threes. Honestly, he was hitting a lot of half-court, pretty close to half-court shots. They were just giving him the ball and just having him just go and hit sniper shots from long range. And he honestly, he came to play. And he is very, uh, I think it just says as to how, how everybody looks at him, that if you give that ball to somebody else and they were going for that shot, a lot of fans or fans that are watching it on TV would be looking at him like, what the heck is he doing? But I think Steph Curry has gotten to a point now where people are looking at him and say, hey, he's probably going to make that. And Steph Curry, in his confidence and being on fire like he was, he not only was able to do that, but he was able to add some pageantry to it by adding his own personality to it, turning his back away from the shot, fade away, no looking. And like it was like a whole it was whole ordeal because he was just it's something crazy to watch when you have a guy like that that is so skilled that he can just make the shot. And he can add so much gusto to the way he plays, so much confidence, and everybody believes it. Everybody respects it because he's he's good enough to where they know he's gonna probably make it most of the time anyway. And it just kind of it adds to the whole flair of the All Star game. So with without him doing his thing, I think Team LeBron won. Uh, I think they had a decided advantage with the fact that Team KD didn't even have KD on the team, with him still nursing his injury. And with that being the case, like. Steph Curry was the was the uh, MVP of that game. Oh, and also LeBron made the game winning shot for that game. I think because the, I think in the third quarter, I think they have like a target store they have to get to, and I think it does add to the uh, competitiveness of it because players usually start to play good defense in the fourth quarter anyway. So, so with that being the case, I think they're both teams are playing for charity. So like both teams kind of pick their own charity. Whoever wins gets to donate a bigger portion of the money to charity. So they are doing it for a good cause, and they do play pretty hard in the fourth quarter. So I think if I had to rank all the All-Star games or All-Star weekends of all major sports, I'd probably give it to MLB first because they actually play it like a real game and all the players take it seriously as such. And then I would probably give it to... I really don't watch hockey or soccer, so I'm just going to do the main three, football, baseball, uh, basketball. I'm going to do, I would do baseball first, basketball second, and then NFL third. The NFL all-star stuff is, all-star game is absolute atrocious. I I get the idea that no players want to hurt each other, but like they play with no effort out there in their uh, Pro Bowl. So with that being the case, the NBA is still two in this scenario, but doesn't mean they still can't make a lot of changes to their all-star weekend in general to make it better for fans, not only in this, in the, uh, on, in the stadium, but the fans watching on television as well. Uh, after that, the, uh, big news coming out of all-star weekend was Chris Paul's injury. I think Chris Paul has a thumb injury that is going to take him out for a month or two. He's missing a lot of the last like 20 games that they have for the NBA season. 
it does kind of bring some question as to, I think, because the Suns, the Phoenix Suns, who Chris Ball plays for, have been the best team in the West, like by a wide margin. I think them and the Warriors have kind of been blowing everybody out in the Western side of the conference with the Western Conference. I don't know why I said it that way, but Western Conference, I think this, it's the Suns, Warriors, and then a big gap, and then you have everybody else. But there was a nice little gap between the Suns and the Warriors at this point. I think it was like a seven-game uh, difference. But now with Chris Paul's injury, I think that you're going to see the Warriors kind of make a jump here over the next 20 games or so and probably have that first seed overall. And with that being the case, I do think both of those teams probably will run through the rest of the West because I truly don't see too many uh, contenders in the West as of right now. I think a lot there's a lot more contenders on the East than the West at this point. Home po- home uh, home court is probably going to be a very big factor coming down in the play coming uh in the playoffs. And with that being the case, I really do think it, this puts Phoenix in a very bad very bad place, especially since even if Chris Paul comes back probably in the end of the 20 game stretch, probably closer to play- playoffs, he's going to have to work his way back into being in game shape and then doing all of that on a night-to-night basis which puts Phoenix at an even be- even worse disadvantage when it comes to the playoffs. So Phoenix and has something they have to work through, kind of given uh, opening the door to the Warriors in general. And with that, I think this makes the race for the Western Conference playoffs very tight for those for the uh, Suns and the Warriors. So something to look on, uh, something to look look to when it comes to how competitive their last twenty games of the season are. And I think, oh, also the fact that the Warriors are so close right now. Already, when you have both Clay Thompson still working his way back from his injury, and they still don't even have Draymond yet, so because he's been nursing an injury over the last month or so, so I think I think this kind of leads to you can kind of look at these two teams as going in two different directions, right? So you have the kind of the Phoenix Suns who are kind of standing up high that are starting to fall a little bit, and then you have the Warriors that are right behind them, right below them, and how this is looking. And they are starting to rise because you have one team getting uh, less healthy and you got the other team getting healthy. And I think with this, all this being the case, I think the Warriors will be looking a lot better once the playoffs start than the than the Phoenix Suns who when they start the playoffs. So I just think it's something to look at as the rest of this regular season goes on. And there is one couple other uh, pieces of news that I wanted to talk about. So, in, at least in the NBA. So, next you have LeBron. So, over the over the uh, All-Star break, you had LeBron making a lot of headlines, especially while he's not playing on the court. I think news kind of comes out that, hey, LeBron is kind of looking f- towards his future. And with his oldest son, Bronny, being a junior in high school right now, I think LeBron is kind of putting it into the air that, you know, he wants to play with his son at some point. I, and I think it's a realistic scenario at this point that his son could get to the NBA, not only by name alone, but I think if you look at recruiting rankings right now with his son being in high school, I think his son is like 40th in the nation in recruiting, but he does have big offers from schools like Duke, Kentucky. Um, I think UCLA, I think he does have some big offers. So with that being the case, I think LeBron is either – I think he's putting it in the air that he does want to play with his son at some point when his son does come into the NBA. But I think it also 
is like a kind of like married to the idea that if his son isn't necessarily great enough to get drafted in the first round or in the second round, I think it'll give some teams the idea that, hey, if I draft his son, LeBron James will come. And who knows what how, what, how LeBron will look by that point. This is two years from now, at least, because his son, Bronny, has to play at least one year in uh, high, at least one more year in high school. And then he has to play one year in college, as the rules are as of right are as of right now. They could change the rule, but it doesn't look very likely to happen in the next couple of years. So, with that being the case, I think there might be a team that maybe will look at Bronny. Maybe he's on the on the edge when it comes to getting drafted or not, and they will draft him because they would like the opportunity to get LeBron James too. Even if LeBron James is not the same player that he even is right now, it does bring eyes to your to your team not only for honestly people to buy tickets to come watch LeBron and his son play together but I think also to watch uh to bring eyes like bring eyes to the television screen to watch your team play as well so I think this is a kind of like a double like a a good but bad thing here because think about it if you have a guy that in Bronny that maybe is not as good as other guys in the locker room and they look at Bronny and say hey you're only here because your dad pretty much talked you into being a NBA player. I think, honestly, I still believe that Bronny can become a pretty great player. There's still time. He could have a great year in college that'll get him, vault him into the first round or so. But if that's not the case, and Bronny isn't necessarily a slam dunk player, I think there will be players in the locker room that he potentially goes to with his dad being there. Even if his dad is there, I think they will look at him and say, hey, maybe you don't deserve to be here. Maybe it's just because your dad kind of gave you the uh, the bump that he has because, you know, he is like the, probably the second be- best player to ever live. Being behind Jordan, of course, so I have to had to add that in there. So with that being the case, I it could be a downside, but I think it also could be a good side because you have your dad who has been through the ups and downs of being an NBA player teaching you the teaching of the ropes in real time. And plus, I think as a as a young man that is kind of getting into his profession, I think you do not necessarily want your parent that has pretty much been watching you this whole time. Like, maybe you want to get some separation, but maybe not. Who knows? I don't obviously me being a pedestrian that I am. I, I have no idea as to what that what their relationship is like. So maybe Bronny's all for it, but maybe he's not. Who like who knows? But I just had to mention this, that whole thing, because I think it is something very interesting to look at as you uh as the years go by maybe as Bronny gets closer and closer potentially gets in the NBA maybe see how that goes and then last but not least I have one more piece of news to talk about I think yesterday I think it was reported that the mayor of New York is going to potentially put into put into law that could because of the whole Kyrie thing right cuz of law that's instituted right now in the city of New York a player that is not vaccinated cannot play right now. Just cannot play in the games, at least at home games. So Kyrie right now has not been able to play this whole season in home games. But with the mayor of New York has now kind of changed his mind on this whole scenario because I think I think it came out that if you are a home player, you have to play under that rule. You get the you're under that rule. But if you are a player from another team from another state and not vaccinated, you could still play in the game, which is a very dumb rule because it's kind of taking out the whole the whole point of why they would have such a rule in the first place. That's a very dumb rule, whether it is whether it is in made in good conscience or not. 
not conscience, but yeah, with a good conscience. Yeah, they made that choice with a good conscience trying to make that law. It's not very, it's not coming, not being put in the greatest of ways. So if that's the case, I think they have uh, some explaining to do. So with that being the case, it is, it has come out that at some point in the next couple of weeks, probably around next month, that Kyrie will be able to come back and play full time in home games and away games. And if that's the case, this puts the Nets in a very different light. They have a, they'll have around 20 something games left of the season to kind of get together. And, you know, you saw Kyrie, uh, that would bring Kyrie back into the fold. KD is still hurt coming off an injury from earlier in the season. I think they said he'll be ready in the next couple of weeks. And then obviously you have Ben Simmons, who they just traded for, who also said that he's going to be ready in the next couple of weeks as well. So if they manage to bring all the three, all those three players together, and maybe they managed to get 10, 15 games under their belt going into the playoffs. I think this puts the Nets back into a uh, back into a different ballpark when it comes to what their outlook may be on the season. I think their uh, their GM and owner pretty much came out and said, "Hey, this is championship or bust this year." Even with the trade for Ben Simmons and the other different parts when they traded James Harden away, I think their expectation hasn't changed, and I think. It with this law potentially changing and bringing Kyrie back full time, I think this puts the Nets on another tra- stratosphere because if all of this comes together and Ben can do what he does best, and then you have KD and Kyrie doing their thing, I think this do- does give the Nets a very good chance because they're already the most talented team in the league. Like that, there's no chance. They are they no chance they're not because you have two of the best scores in the game. You have KD potentially the best player on the planet. Then you had a guy like Ben Simmons who pretty much alleviates two of the problems the Nets had when they had Harden. The two biggest weaknesses they had was rebounding and defense. And when they traded Harden away and got Ben Simmons back, that's what Ben Simmons does best. And not only that, you don't necessarily need Ben Simmons to be a crazy scorer making a lot of jump shots. Because you have those shots going to KD and Kyrie. And with that being the case, I really do believe that this will give the Nets new life. And I do believe that if they have some time to gel before the playoffs come, they potentially could dominate the East and potentially come out to play for the NBA, play for the championship. Because I do think that when they traded Harden away and got Simmons, I did say this on the last podcast. They traded away a bigger star in Harden and brought back a better fit in Simmons and the other piece that they got in being uh, uh, Steph Curry's brother. I, why am I thinking his name now? Holy crap. Why am I, Stephen Curry. Yeah, Stephen Curry. No, that's Steph. Uh, why am I thinking his name? They got Curry and they got, uh, oh man, I'm, I'm out. Forget the names. I'm going to stick to Simmons here. You gave away Harden. Got back Simmons. You got you got a better fit in Simmons. I do believe Simmons can be the Nets' uh they can be he can be the Nets version of Draymond. Draymond, guy that can run up the floor for the Golden State Warriors. He can take the ball to court. He can distribute. He can play good defense. He can rebound. That is Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is that on steroids because Ben Simmons is a much better athlete than Draymond. And I do believe he is a better he He's better at defense. He can guard positions one through five. I do believe Ben Simmons can be that. And if Ben Simmons only has to be that and doesn't necessarily have to worry about all the scoring, I do believe Ben Simmons will look a lot better in this scenario. 
And with that being the case, I do think the Nets will be a team to be reckoned with, even with the new look Sixers playing as good as they are right now. So honestly, they haven't added Harden yet, so I really don't know how good they're playing as of right now. So that is yet to be seen. But on paper, the 76ers will be a team to be reckoned with as well with the pick and roll action that they uh, Harden and and, uh, Joel Embiid will be able to employ. So with all that being the case, I do, like, honestly, me being in the Bulls fan, I think this does, it's a really weird feeling because I know my Bulls have played so well throughout the season, but I know if my Bulls end up facing a 76ers team or the Nets or Giannis and the Bucks, I do think my team will lose because I think the Bucks have just been coasting throughout this whole season, knowing they don't necessarily have to have the best record. And I think the Nets have been having, obviously, having their troubles. And then you have the 76ers who are just Joel Embiid's on a different level, man. And uh, my, I just don't think my Bulls have the size inside in order to stop a guy like Joel Embiid, let alone the guys be able to guard a guy like Harden. So as a Bull fan, this kind of puts me in a bad spot because I just I know if they play anybody else, they'll play very well. But just against those big team, those teams in the Bucks, the Nets, and the Sixers, that it's just it'll be very hard for my team to make it out. As much as I, I as high as I, I am on my Bulls, it just kind of puts me in a bad spot because I just know the Nets will be unstoppable if they get their thing together. So, all that being the case, uh, that's pretty much all I got. Anybody that's listened to the podcast and kind of made it through this whole thing, I do appreciate you all listening, and I. I do hope that we'll have the second, the other half of this podcast and my brother next week to potentially come back and be on a regular schedule again. So with all that being the case, thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next one.